I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw. Steps up. Floats a bomb up the right seam. Looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is midweek with Manish, a day late this week because of the New Year's holiday. Manish, Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year, Scott. How are you? I am kind of, well, how do I put this? Flummoxed, confused. I'm not really sure... (laughs) What Adam Gase was trying to accomplish in that press conference at the end of the year, let's get into one of the topics that everybody's been discussing, and that's the whole answer to the Le'Veon Bell question, which is a question that you asked. Now, I'm going to say this right off the bat. There are people that have said that Adam Gase was only being short and nasty and not answering the question to spite you because he doesn't like you, and there's the perceived axe that you have to grind with him. However... I personally don't care whether he hates you to the ends of the earth and whether he wants to spite you all day long. He's the head coach of the team, and everything he says in public on camera matters, and it's going to travel. And we saw what Le'Veon Bell's response was to what Adam Gase said. And so when Adam Gase gets asked the question, do you want Le'Veon Bell back next season? And his answer is, he's under contract for three more years. And the follow-up is, but do you want him back And the follow-up answer is, ask Joe, I'm not the personnel guy, Joe talks tomorrow. If he can't figure out how that's going to look, especially when 
A, everybody knows he didn't want Le'Veon Bell in the first place. And B, there's been all these rumors that the Jets are going to be looking to get rid of Le'Veon Bell in the offseason. I don't know what to say. Because when you're the head coach, you have to be above, as my friend Chris Moore said on WFAN, getting down in the dirt. Even if you're angry at a reporter or whoever else, you smile and you say, yes, can't wait to have Le'Veon Bell back in 2020. Don't know why that's so difficult, but Adam Gase just couldn't put aside his pettiness here. And I don't care whether you think Gase did a great job, a terrible job, whatever it is that you feel about what he did as head coach of the Jets in 2019, what he said to you when you asked that question about Le'Veon Bell was simply not an acceptable answer. I agree. I think you really summed it up perfectly. Uh, it is no secret that I've been very critical of Adam Gase this season. Uh, now, I have praised him uh, you know, at different times when warranted. Uh, unfortunately for him, uh, it hasn't been warranted that often because, uh, and I know we'll talk about this more uh, later in the podcast, but statistically, his offense uh, was terrible this year. So, uh, Obviously, uh, somebody who is being criticized to that degree uh, might not feel uh, fondly about the person criticizing them. So I, I totally understand Adam Gase not being thrilled with me because I have pointed out you know, some of his shortcomings uh, when some other people who are also there day to day for uh, whatever reason choose not to point out his shortcomings. Uh, but that being said, uh, he is the leader, uh, ostensibly, uh, of the New York Jets. Uh, and as the leader, you have, com- have to comport yourself in a specific manner. It does not matter, as you said, uh, who is asking the question. Uh, if the question is fair, you have to comport yourself in a manner uh, that reflects well on not only yourself, but the organization as a whole. And I thought, to be honest, Scott, that he did that for the most part this season. Now, he acted childishly the day after the, the week one loss to Buffalo. And then uh, because of that, uh, somebody in the building, someone influential, somebody important, uh, told Gase, hey, you can't act like that. Uh, it doesn't really matter what the question is uh, or who the questioner is. You have to uh, answer it in a professional manner because if you don't, it's going to make the, uh, not only you look bad, but uh, most importantly, it's going to make the Jets look bad. So he got that message. That message went, you know, to him, and he took it, and I thought he did a reasonably good job in terms of dealing with reporters. Now, look, it hadn't been perfect. You know, it wasn't perfect uh, every day that we spoke to him, and there were times where he was chafed for sure, and I understand that. That's human nature. But I thought by and large – no, he, his answers were quality answers. Uh, you know whether he was putting on a show or not. That, you know that's debatable. I think that he was putting on a show, but that doesn't really matter. I think that the answers that he gave, the insight that he provided, uh, when I asked the question or when somebody else asked the question, for were by and large, you know, they were solid. You know, you, you can disagree with what he's saying, but I thought they were solid for the most part. So that's why it was, it was disappointing, curious that uh, he did not support Le'Veon Bell. Uh, when I asked what I thought was a, a completely fair question, I think any journalist, any reporter would tell you that the question about whether he wants Le'Veon Bell back as the starting uh, starting running back in 2020 is fair. That's completely uh, what a lot of people want to know because Le'Veon Bell struggled so much and people had questions about his deployment. And we'll, we can talk about that more uh, in depth uh, in the podcast as well. 
But uh, you can't say, uh, ask Joe Douglas. You can't pawn it off that way because it, it looks like you're not supporting your player. It looks like you're not saying that you want him back. And as you said, he did not want him in the first place. And then he tried to spin it through back channels by saying, well, he didn't want to pay him. The reality is he did not want to scrap his offense uh, and make Le'Veon Bell the centerpiece. Uh, he, he was okay making Le'Veon Bell the complimentary piece, but why would you make someone who's such as a talent like Bell a complimentary piece? You, you don't do that. Smart coaches you know, adapt and change their style and their scheme to fit the player uh, as opposed to the other way around. So, yeah, it was a bad look for him. I thought it was uh, you know, particularly damaging that Le'Veon Bell saw this and uh, then he, you know, he responded with uh, a gif of Michael Scott from the office with this, uh, you know, upset look. And so no actual words came out of Le'Veon's mouth. He didn't type any words on, on social media. But that that image, that picture, really, you know, said a thousand words. Uh, kind of like, what are you doing here? Like, I'm a guy who has been a good soldier for you all season, even though I know that I haven't been deployed the right way, and I have sucked it up, and I've been a team first guy, and and said all the right things. He even called, if you remember, Scott, he called Adam Gates an offensive mastermind in the summertime when you know, he obviously didn't believe that. But, uh, you know, he said a lot of good things about Adam Gates. And then uh, at the end of the season, for his coach to comport himself in that manner uh, was particularly disappointing, uh, you know, from a player's perspective. But just at, at large, it's just not how a leader – it's not how a leader behaves. And I have had questions about Adam Gase's leadership all season, not only from what you see publicly, but from what I've heard time and time again about how he comports himself privately and things and actions uh, behind closed doors, uh, frankly, are unacceptable. If everyone knew the stuff that he did behind closed doors, uh, I think they would be you know, it, it, well within their rights to be questioning why this guy is in charge. Beyond the optics with the fans, the real danger here was, as you said, the optics with Le'Veon Bell himself because the reaction on Twitter told the story. What you're telling this player with this answer is that you are not committed to bringing him back in 2020. And other people have said, well, Gase has said it other times. He's happy to have Bell. And later on in the press conference, it doesn't matter because this was going to go viral. And on top of that, the fact that he refused to answer speaks for itself. You don't have to try and twist yourself into a pretzel trying to explain it. It is what it is. I don't care what he said a million other times. When he's asked that question, all he had to say was yes or I'm looking forward to having Le'Veon Bell back next year whatever it is some combination of words that make it known that he does not want to get rid of Le'Veon Bell and he couldn't find it in himself to do that which is really frustrating the other thing of course is if they are going to try and trade Le'Veon Bell this lowers the trade value because now other teams know that Gase is not committed to keeping Bell so if they call it's going to be a situation where they could probably offer next to nothing and probably get the Jets to eat a significant portion of the 2020 salary all of the leverage goes out the window whatever leverage there was so this whole thing to me is just another example of how Adam Gase simply doesn't know how to deal with a lot of the other aspects of the job of being a head coach in addition to the play calling and running the offense which we'll get to later because as I've made the point many times running an offense is such a small part of of the job of being a head coach and what Adam Gase did in Miami fell short in so many different
different key areas. And this is another example of, as you said, Manish, poor leadership, poor decision-making, and poor judgment. Yeah, he's a, look, he's an immature, impulsive person. I can say that with great certainty now, you know, being around him for an entire year. Uh, you can't have your head coach be like that. It's one thing to be emotional uh, in game, you know, you know, whether it's a good moment or a bad moment. Uh, I think, you know, in many ways, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I, I don't begrudge guys who are not emotional on the sideline, but uh, I, I like guys, you know, who get juiced up. Uh, now, and Adam isn't particularly like that on the sideline. I think behind closed doors, in practice, uh, you know, there, there's a, a certain edge to him. Uh, and I have described him multiple times, and I have no problem saying it because I, I, I believe it to be completely true, and I know it's true. He's a used car salesman. Uh, there's a way that he deals with players one-on-one that makes you sometimes feel, hey, you know what, this guy's in my corner, I, be- I think he believes in me, and maybe in that moment, the moment that Gase is actually speaking to the player, he does believe in that player, maybe. I mean, sometimes it's BS, but maybe in that moment he does. Uh, the, the maddening part of Adam Gase, the, the dis- disconcerting part from an organizational standpoint of Adam Gase is that he always changes his mind and there's really no rhyme or reason why he changes it when he changes it it just happens and it happens frequently and and i i know i've I've discussed this uh recently uh, with you in the in the past robbie anderson the perfect example of that he did not like robbie anderson in the least bit for the better part of the season and then it switched. Then he liked Robbie Anderson. And now Robbie Anderson didn't have a particularly good game in Buffalo, so I, I don't know how Adam Gase feels about Robbie right now. But it, he's just very hot and cold on players. So if you're a player, it puts yourself, it puts you in a precarious position because you don't know if this guy's got your back. Does he really have your back? Uh, or does he have, his, have your back in that moment that he's talking to you? Or is he feeding you BS? Is it true? Is it not true? Uh it's just an unsettling position to be in if you're a player. And I know this from talking to players throughout the season in this locker room. Players feel like that. And, you know, you can go to the same player uh, three different times over the course of, uh, you know, the beginning of off-season workouts to the end of the regular season, and they might give you three different opinions on, on what they believe Adam Gase is because Adam Gase has projected three different uh, views toward them. It's just very unsettling because he's not a stable leader. You know, stability matters. You know, having uh, your players know who you really are matters. And I don't think players know who he really is. I think he does that purposely. Um, you know, he's, a, he's an interesting guy to cover. Uh, he's an interesting coach. Uh, he's an interesting colleague based on people I've talked to. Uh, to work for him, work with him, play for him. Uh, it, it, it's a, you know, I, I think unsettling is probably the best way to describe it. Uh, and that's why, I, you know, I, I've always believed this during this season. I don't know if I'd want to play for Adam Gase, uh, you know, especially if you're an offensive player. At least if you're a defensive player, you know that he's not really the head coach. You know that the guy that you're dealing with day-to-day uh, is Greg Williams, and that's the guy you really need to focus on. Like, do you believe you can play for Greg Williams? But if you're an offensive player, that's a very odd dynamic. And, and I know that after, I believe it was after the Buffalo game, uh, you know, Sam Darnold spoke glowingly about Adam Gase, and, and we've discussed Sam you know, many, many times. He's such a good kid. 
he wants to believe in everybody, teammates, coaches, especially the head coach and the guy he's working with most closely. Uh, and, and that's just his nature. I, I, you know, I love that about Sam Darnold. I really do. It, it's a great outlook. Uh, but I don't think it's fair or accurate to say that, you know, what Sam Darnold says about Adam Gase is a microcosm of what the rest of the team believes about Adam Gase. Cause I don't think that's true. In fact, I'm fairly confident that that is not true. So it's great that, that Sam says a lot of good things about Adam and, uh, you know, God bless him for that. But I don't think him saying that this is how everybody feels is true based on conversations I've had with his teammates for the better part of a year. You know, it's not true. And just for the people that are going to say, well, Manish clearly has an axe to grind. Manish has an anti-Gase agenda. Manish hates Gase. Even if all of that is 100% true, it doesn't matter because, again, Adam Gase shot himself in the foot right here by giving the answer that he gave. It doesn't matter who asked the question. It doesn't matter whether there was animosity between the person asking the question and Adam Gase. All he had to say was, yes, he wants Le'Veon Bell back. That's it. So all of this, all of it is on Adam Gase. Doesn't matter how you feel about Gase as a coach. Doesn't matter how you feel about him as an offensive mind. Doesn't matter how you feel about what you think there is between him and Manish. All he had to do was say, yes, he wanted Le'Veon Bell back. And he couldn't find it within himself to do that. And that's the frustrating part because this is a big problem that he had in Miami. And it is continued here with the New York Jets. Manish, let's talk about the rest of this presser with Adam Gase. What else did he have to say of note? Uh, well, he had a lot to say, but I do just just to put a bow on the agenda part of all of this. Uh, I have one agenda. I, I fully admit that I have an agenda when I report. My agenda is to hold the decision makers accountable. That has always been my driving force. I believe that should be the driving force of all the reporters uh, uh, covering whatever team. You hold the people accountable for their actions. You know things that are related to the football team. I'm not talking about things beyond that scope, but things related to the football team, uh, decisions made uh, you know, related to the New York Jets in this particular instance, that has to be the agenda. I've always believed that. Like You have to hold these people accountable. And if, if, if Adam Gase ha- had a great season, uh, I would be saying on this podcast, in other interviews, in my writing, that Adam Gase has done a great job in A, B, and C. I would not pretend that he has not done a great job in A, B, and C. But he is not doing a great job. The, the raw numbers will tell you that he is not doing a great job. In fact, the numbers will tell you he's doing an exceedingly poor job. And so it's my job to hold him accountable for that. And, and that's why, you know, I hear it all the time from people. You have an agenda. That, to me, is an open-ended, lazy statement. Yes, I have an agenda. I've always had an agenda. Hold not only Adam Gase accountable, but for everybody in a decision-making position accountable. And if things are going well, I am going to praise these people. Uh, Just this week, this past week, I wrote an entire story saying that I believe Greg Williams deserves consideration for assistant coach of the year because he has dealt with many of the same challenges that Adam Gase has dealt with on the offensive side of the ball. However, the defense has overcome all of that. And statistically, and by the eye test, the defense has done a really good job in spite of a lot of these obstacles. And what is the major difference between the defense and the offense this season for the New York Jets? 
It's coaching. So I'm holding Greg Williams accountable, and I am praising Greg Williams for the terrific job that I think that he has done this season. If Adam Gase's offense were doing the same thing, I would be writing and saying the same things about Adam Gase. But he is not. He He has failed on that side of the football, whereas Greg Williams has succeeded. And that's why the stories coming out about about that coach versus this coach and that side of the ball versus this side of the ball are different. And it's not that complicated. It really is not that complicated. If things are going well, I will be writing that things are going well. I am not going to pretend that things stink. If the offense is lighting it up, I'm going to give them credit. When they were dropping 30-plus points against, uh, what, the, the Redskins, the Giants, the Raiders, uh, yeah, you take into consideration that the quality of opponent isn't you know, particularly great, but you don't discount the fact that they scored you know, so many points and they did so well on offense. And during that window of time, I was praising Adam Gase and that offense. But other than that, when they're struggling, I can't pretend when they scored 14 points on offense that they scored 30 points on offense. I, I can't do that. That's not my job. My job is to actually report and give opinions on what's actually happening uh, within segments of the team. So that's just one thing about agenda. I mean, people, that's a buzzword. It's an easy word to, to say without any explanation. But I fully admit that I have an agenda, and it's always to hold the people accountable uh, when it comes to football-related matters. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply play like a jet play like a jet and we'll get back to Adam Gase and the offense in a little bit. But before we do, let's just put a bow on these press conferences. What else did Adam Gase have to say? And what did Joe Douglas have to say the day after? Because as we know, Adam Gase told you that if you wanted an answer about Le'Veon Bell, you were going to have to get it from Joe Douglas. Right. So that was the first question that, I, that was asked in, uh, in Joe Douglas's press conference on Tuesday, well, you know, whether he wants... Le'Veon Bell to be a part of the team next season and whether he'd entertain uh, trading Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you know, I thought that Joe Douglas handled himself well. And look, he has spoken only a few times uh, in season, you know, which is, you know, typically the case uh, for general managers. They, that's the time for the head coach, and then the offseason is the time for the GM. But in, in the times that Joe Douglas has spoken, uh, I have to give him a lot of credit. He is a Stand-up guy. He is a professional. We don't know much about whether he'll be a successful general manager or not. You know, a lot of that uh, will be determined in the coming months. But uh, you know, in the pockets of time that he has been, uh, you know, he has been in front of the cameras. 
Uh, I think he's handled himself exceedingly well. I, I really do. Now, he's in, a, in an odd position because he hasn't really done much other than a few, you know, low-level moves. Uh, the one, the one uh, quote-unquote, big move that he made uh, was not a move that worked out. And I think he would freely admit that. He gave $8-plus million to Ryan Khalil. Uh, he'll, he'll admit that that was a mistake in hindsight. Uh, all that being said, uh, I did not have an issue with it in real time. When it happened, I thought, hey, you know what? The Jets have the money, so it's not like the money is really an issue. And uh, he wanted to take a shot on a, on a veteran Pro Bowl center who had retired and maybe lure him out of retirement to help the offense, to help the young quarterback. Uh, you know, in theory, I, it was a sound decision. In practice, it was not, and it did not work out at all. And I think Joe Douglas will admit that. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. It did not make or break this season. It was just a poor decision and one decision. Uh, we're going to find out a lot about Joe Douglas and free agency and the draft. But I thought, you know, his answer to Le'Veon Bell was honest. I really don't think there was any other way that he could have said it, which is, hey, look, if a team calls uh, about anyone, uh, by and large, other than, other than Sam Darnold, uh, if a team calls, he's going to listen. Uh, in terms of potentially trading Le'Veon Bell. He's also smart enough to know that no team is going to take the $13.5 million that Le'Veon Bell is owed in 2020. So it would have to be a situation where the Jets would have to absorb some of the salary, how much money the Jets are actually willing to absorb to get back, a, I don't know, a third or fourth or fifth round pick. I don't, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but uh, Joe Douglas made it clear that you know, if people call, he'll – He'll listen and, and likely engage in a conversation about potentially moving Le'Veon Bell. But that being said, he was exceedingly positive about Bell as a teammate, as a person, about uh, Bell as a guy who engages with uh, other people on the team, uh, his work ethic. Uh, you know, he's an extremely hard worker. Even the, the people in Pittsburgh that were upset with him will admit to you that he was a very hard worker. So, uh, you know, I thought, he, I thought that Douglas struck the right chord when it came to Le'Veon Bell, which is, hey, look, we want more production out of him in 2020. Uh, we're not going to turn away an opportunity to discuss trading him. And, uh, you know, at this point uh, in the calendar year, uh, that's probably the best path to take. So I thought he handled it really well. You know, I, I really did much better, obviously, than Adam Gase did. Uh, and he touched on, look, what fans want to know. They, they want to know about Le'Veon Bell. They want to know about Jamal Adams' contract extension and – He's eligible for contract extension now. Uh, I wouldn't anticipate that, that Joe Douglas or anybody in Joe Douglas's position would say, yes, we're going to lock him up uh, to a, a multi-year deal. It's got to happen. You know, there's leverage in negotiations. Uh, I think what's, what's clear now, uh, if it hadn't been already clear, is that the Jets were not, quote-unquote, serious about trading, uh, about trading Jamal Adams in the trade deadline. Uh, they did uh, entertain uh, the possibility of trading him. Uh, even though they didn't initially uh, make the, the phone call, you know they did engage in a discussion with teams, uh, and Joe Douglas described it as not serious. And I, and I appreciate that. Like I, I appreciate a general manager, or head coach, being forthright to that point. Uh, Joe Douglas has a look. He has got a reputation of being a stand-up person. He really does. I mean, I knew this for years before he was ever uh, on the Jets' radar when he was in Philadelphia, uh, when he was in Chicago, uh, and then when he was with the Baltimore Ravens for a very long time. He's a stand-up guy. That's his reputation. I don't have any reason to believe, based on people that I know uh, who know him, to think otherwise. So uh, he's not a BSer. 
he's not going to tell you everything as you would expect, you know, from a general manager. They're not going to lay out the entire plan, but uh, you know, he's a stand-up guy. I think he's an honest guy, and so when he tells you what he told you about Le'Veon Bell, and when he says that, hey, you know, we we love Jamal Adams. He's available. He's you know he's eligible for a contract discussion, and this is a process that we're going to have to go through this offseason. You say, okay, well, we appreciate that, and uh, and then you know you ask him about Robbie Anderson. He had a good discussion with Robbie Anderson recently. He said that he knows he, meaning Robbie, knows that he is valued by this team. Uh, the big question is, how much is he valued? Is he valued at 12, 13, 14, 15 million a year, uh, or not? Uh, because I think that you know Robbie Anderson said to me the, the moments after they they won that game in Buffalo, he's doesn't think that taking a hometown discount makes any sense. And he's right. A hometown discount does not make any sense for a 26, soon-to-be 27-year-old wide receiver who just played on a, a restricted free agent tender this year. This is his opportunity to cash in. And we can discuss for the next 10 days whether Robbie Anderson's the number one receiver or whether he deserves $15 million a year. That doesn't matter. He deserves what the market dictates. And I don't know what the market's going to dictate ultimately, but I think he's going to go to the team that gives him the most guaranteed money. I think, frankly, that makes the most sense. From a Jets perspective, you would really love for him to come back. He's developing a chemistry with Sam Darnold. And to have him and Jamison Crowder and then Chris Herndon coming back, that's a, you know, that's a nice trio. Uh, that's not, there's no dynamic superstar in that group, but that's a nice group to have around the player you want to build around, Sam Darnold. So if that means, quote-unquote, overpaying, when you're going to have 80 to 90 million in cap space, then I think that you should do it. I can't get in Joe Douglas's head. Uh, I, you know, my gut tells me that he does not believe that. But uh, but clearly, the Jets uh, and Joe Douglas specifically value him. It's just a matter of how much they value him because ultimately there'll be no home down discount. And uh, you know, Robbie Anderson is going to cash in in a big way, whether it's with the Jets or with. Uh, with another team. So that's another issue that Joe Douglas addressed. He talked about the offensive line as well. Uh, he obviously we talked about Sam Darnold and talked about his, you know, his, his toughness overcoming the mono. Uh, and look, this is the centerpiece player. This is the guy they're going to build around. And it's going to be incumbent upon Joe Douglas to uh, beef up an offensive line to protect their most valuable assets. So those are some of the things that, that Joe uh, touched on. And, you know, uh, again, it's an exciting time for him. Uh, this is his opportunity now to make an imprint on this team and uh, shape this team the way he believes it should be shaped for this for this organization to finally get back to the playoffs and, more importantly, be a sustainable winner. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family 
purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Circling back to Robbie Anderson for a second. If you look at the free agent options at wide receiver, it is not a very strong list. Robbie Anderson stands right at the top of that list. Obviously, this is a strong wide receiver class, but the Jets have a lot of needs specifically on the offensive line. So do you want to rely on having to go into the draft and grab a receiver? As you said, Robbie Anderson is somebody who has developed the chemistry with Sam Darnold. He's still young. If you go watch the film, you'll see a lot of times when he was open and because the offensive line couldn't give Sam Darnold time to throw, Darnold didn't have the opportunity to get the ball downfield. If they fix the offensive line and bring Robbie Anderson back, there's potential for a lot of explosive plays there in 2020. But I think that the most damning thing that would be said of the Jets if they let Robbie Anderson go is that this is an offense that needs a ton of help. And to let their best wide receiver walk out the door and get zero compensation for him would be absolutely mind boggling. And so when you look at this offense and you look at the results that they produced, 32nd in the league and they were bottom five in every meaningful metric, it's really amazing that the Jets wouldn't be going all out to try and keep Robbie Anderson because without him, I don't even want to think about what this season would have been offensively. I know that there's that old saying, we were 32nd in the league with you, we could be 32nd in the league without you. But the point is, if you want to improve, you need weapons and you don't want to let your best weapon walk out the door. I thought Sean Stalker, who's a longtime listener of this program, had a great thought about this. And I hadn't thought about it this way, but when you do, it really puts everything into perspective. He said, if Greg Williams was the head coach of this team and Adam Gase was here as the offensive coordinator, which he was brought in to fix the offense, he would have been cleaning out his locker on Monday, no question about it based on that performance. Since he's basically a glorified offensive coordinator, how anybody can commend the job that he did this season blows my mind. And so really, if you look at it from that perspective, it puts it in a whole different light because Adam Gase was brought in here to fix the offense and look at the results. 32nd overall, bottom five in all these meaningful categories. And I understand there were injuries and I understand the offensive line was bad, but when your calling card is as an offensive guru and you produce results like that, Sean Stalker is 100% right. If he was the offensive coordinator and Greg was the one who was the head coach, Adam Gase would have been cleaning out his locker on Monday. There's absolutely no question about it. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I mean the numbers kind of speak for themselves. Uh, it's an interesting way of looking at it. I actually had not viewed it through that prism, but uh, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say the Jets would be looking for a, a new offensive coordinator just given, as you said, bottom five and virtually every meaningful statistic uh, – you know, Adam Gase has now been a head coach now for four full seasons. His offenses have ranked 24th, 25th, 31st, and 32nd uh, over, you know, four years, two different teams. And, uh, you know, there, there are people that say, look, you cannot count the games that Sam Darnold didn't play. Well, that's not reality. You know, quarterbacks go down uh, every year. This year you saw starting quarterbacks, future Hall of Fame quarterbacks get hurt, and teams thrive and be competitive at the very least with backups and third strings. So I don't subscribe to that notion. But uh, even if you do just look at the games that Sam Darnold played, the Jets were 26 in points and 29th in total yards. So they were still not a very good offense with Sam Darnold at quarterback for a number of different reasons. But Adam Gase, I don't think, gets that that free pass. Uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting when you look at 
how should you view the offense? Do you view it for you know, 16 games, an entire season, which I wholeheartedly believe that's how you should view every offense and defense because the last I checked, the NFL had a 16-game schedule. Uh, but if, you know, if you're the Jets this year, do you look at it through that prism? Do you look at it through only the 13 games that Sam Darnold played? Do you conveniently look at it first half, second half, because you won six games, really won five and two in the second half, but you got – you got the win over the Bills JV in the in the season finale to make it six and two. So that, do you break it down in that respect? Do you break it down in quarters? Now teams and coaches specifically, when they address their teams throughout the course of the year, they look at quarters. Uh, first quarter, second quarter, obviously were not very good for the Jets. The third quarter started off great. They were three and zero, and they finished <laughs> losing to to the zero and eleven Bengals, I believe, to finish three and one in that quarter. And then in the final quarter, they were really two and one, and then they ended up being the Bills backups in the season finale to finish technically three and one. Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that question because if you're a jet, uh, if you're affiliated with the jets in any way, you'll want to point to the six and two finish. Uh, you'll conveniently ignore that you played the bills backups and, uh, you won't bring up the, the record against the opponents that you face in the second half. And look, you know, you're, if you want to spin it that way, you can spin it that way. Uh, I look at the last, you know, just I'll have time to break it down much, much in much more detail later. But you know, I've got the numbers over the last three games in all the important categories on offense. First downs, they were 30th in first downs in the last three games. They were 24th in third down conversion, and 24th seems like a great stat because every other stat is like the, like you said, the bottom five in the league. And so this is not bottom five; it's obviously still bottom third. But uh, so I guess that's an improvement because they finished 31st in third down conversion rate for the season and 24th in the last three games. Uh, yards per play were still uh, last in the league through 16 games. The last three games of the season, their yards per play was 30th. And, you know, the total yards, uh, you know, they, these numbers stink. You know, Scott, you know, we're, we're talking about all these different categories, DVOA, the efficiency rating that coaches and GMs and front office people look at. The Jets were 31st in the off, in the league. What was interesting to me about DVOA, uh, Football Outsiders Efficiency Rating, is that the Jets were 31st for the season. Uh, the Steelers, I believe, uh, if memory serves, the Steelers were the last in the NFL. And that to me is amazing because the Steelers were in the hunt to be a playoff team with a couple weeks to go. And that, again, speaks to the difference in coaching you know, between Mike Tomlin and Adam Gase. Uh, so if I'm a Steeler fan, which I'm not, but uh, that to me is pretty pretty interesting stat that you're the least efficient offensive team in the league, yet you're still in the hunt for a playoff berth uh, in Week 17. Uh, you know, on the flip side, the, the, the defensive DVOA efficiency rating was 10th, which, you know, given much of the challenges that Greg Williams had to deal with is exceptional to me. You know, they were second in the league in run defense, tied with the, the Bucks for fewest yards per carry allowed, 3.3. Uh, they were seventh in total defense. Uh, somehow they were 17th, middle of the pack in pass defense. This is amazing to me given who their corners actually were. So, again, I think if there's a stark contrast between – what Greg Williams did and what Adam Gase did. And uh, I'm glad that you brought up this discussion because I had not viewed it as if Greg Williams were the head coach and Gase were just the offensive coordinator, given how poorly the offensive play, offense played, would they be looking for a new offensive coordinator? And, you know, I think it's fair to say that they probably would. The thing that is the most concerning about all of this is the fact that Adam Gase was brought in to fix the offense and everybody knows that he has nothing to do with the defense, that that's Greg Williams. The defense is the unit 
that helped the Jets win the games that they won. You can't possibly sit here and say that the Jets' offense did their job, for example, getting 13 points against Buffalo's backups. You can't possibly say that they did the job getting six points against the league's worst team, the Cincinnati Bengals. So when you look at those seven wins through the prism of how did they achieve those seven wins and who were those seven wins against, it all comes back to what we were talking about. Adam Gase was brought in here as an offensive whiz, yet his offense couldn't score points. They couldn't get yards. They couldn't get first downs. They couldn't produce. And on top of that, for as much as I believe in Sam Darnold, and Manish, I know that you also believe in Sam Darnold, and most Jets fans do, he didn't quite take the leap that we had hoped. And I think part of that is because there are certain things that he still very much needs to fix. I've talked about situational awareness a lot of times. There are times where Sam Darnold doesn't see somebody who's open for a wide open first down and instead has a little bit of a case of cowboyitis and will throw downfield for a much riskier throw. Nothing wrong with taking bold risks from time to time, but you've got to know when to take that easy first down. And these are things that should have been worked on with the offensive guru, the quarterback whisperer. And so when you put everything into perspective for what Adam Gase was brought in here to do, to fix the offense, to help bring Sam Darnold to that next level, Darnold improved, but did he improve enough to really say that he got to that quote-unquote next level? I guess you could make that argument, but I don't really think it's a strong argument. And the offense actually got worse under Adam Gase. And I know that there were injuries, and I know that Luke Falk played three games, but Manish, you brought up the numbers of the Jets' offense without the Luke Falk games, and they're still terrible. So I really don't know what the argument is here. When you throw in all the other stuff that we said about the poor leadership, Adam Gase has a lot to try to fix going into 2020, and his track record to this point shouldn't make anybody feel at ease about the fact that he's going to be able to do that. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult defense. If you you know if you want to say good things about Adam Gase, uh, the convenient one would be injuries. You know, you can point to injuries. It's funny because uh, Scott, I don't remember if we said this on the podcast or if you and I were just talking off to the side uh, at some point in the in the last couple of weeks, but. I remember thinking when they were putting when they were putting guys on IR and they had like 15 or 16 guys on IR. I made a joke to you, and again, I don't remember if we were actually taping or not, but I made a joke to you, which was, "Hey, look, I know he's going to try to get to 20. He wants 20 guys on IR." And ultimately, they actually did get 20 guys on IR because they were putting guys on IR the last week or so. You know, meaningless. That's a meaningless stat, uh, and that that would be your only defense uh, because. There's just so many head-scratching decisions, and I'm just going to point to one in the most recent game. You know, we, we've discussed throughout the course of the year a lot of weird things that he did. Perhaps the, the most mind-boggling one was his use or non-use of timeouts at the end of the game in Miami. He completely butchered that. That, that was so amateurish, it, it still defies logic. But I want to look at one specific thing from the Buffalo game that just does not make any sense to me. And if I had... 20 minutes alone with Adam Gase, I would really like for him to fully just explain this to me because in the press conference setting, it's difficult. You know, he, you know, he gets testy when he's challenged about certain things. Uh, there were 19 consecutive plays in the Buffalo game in the second half, spanning the third and the fourth quarters, uh, 25 minutes of game time. So 19 offensive plays, the Jets, uh, the Jets ran 
in which Le'Veon Bell did not get one touch. That is unbelievable. It was a 3 nothing game for about 14 of those 25 minutes, and then for the remaining 11 minutes, it was uh, a 3-3 game, and then the Jets went up 10-3. So it was a tight game. So the point is it was a, a one-possession game, a very close game. And if you're Adam Gase and you have 19 consecutive plays in which Le'Veon Bell does not get a touch in the second half, I don't understand the logic behind that. It doesn't make any sense. And Adam Gase explained it initially uh, saying that, look, we only ran seven plays in the third quarter. Uh, okay, so Le'Veon was 0 for 7 in the, in the third quarter. He did not, he, or he, I should say he conveniently omitted that they ran 12 plays to start the fourth quarter. And I asked him specifically, okay, those are seven plays in the third quarter. He didn't get a touch. How do you explain the fact he didn't get a touch for the first two-thirds of the fourth quarter, the first ten minutes of the fourth quarter? His response was, that's football. But what does that mean, that's football? That's a non-answer. And I don't know if it's because he was just being arrogant uh, if he just didn't like being challenged, or if he just didn't have a real answer to that question. Because that's not football. That's bad football. That's not just football. That's terrible decision-making. He also pointed to the fact that the Jets ran four wide, one tight end sets. So in effect, what he was telling everybody was that he preferred having Vincent Smith, Braxton Berrios, and or Daniel Brown on the field instead of Le'Veon Bell. And just let that sink in for a second. He would rather take his chances with Braxton Berrios, Vincent Smith, and Daniel Brown instead of one of the best pass-catching running backs that we have seen in the NFL over the last 10 or 15 years. That, to me, speaks to his terrible, I don't know, judgment, his terrible decision-making, play-calling, it's just unbelievable. It's almost as if he does not understand that he has Le'Veon Bell on his team. And you can say to me, Le'Veon Bell is not the same player we saw in 2016 or 2017, and that's fine. I'm not saying he's the exact same player he was when he was younger, because very few players are the exact same player they were when they were younger. But he is still an effective player, a highly effective player if you deploy him the right way. He didn't have to be in the backfield. If you were going with four wide, one tight end, he could have been and should have been one of those four wide. Uh, you know, take out Braxton Berrios. With all due respect to Braxton Berrios, or with all due respect to Vincent Smith, yeah, I think it's smarter to have Le'Veon Bell lined up as a wide receiver than one of those two guys. So the notion that he was trying to explain away how 19 plays came and went without giving the ball in some form or fashion to Le'Veon Bell was ridiculous and embarrassing in every possible way. That is not defensible. His, his lack of usage during that sequence in the last game shows me uh, that he has no idea what he's doing. And I, and I hate to be blunt about it, uh, but that's the reality. And this has nothing to do with me having an ax to grind with anybody. That's football. You know, he said that's football. I'm telling, him, I'm telling you and everybody, that's not smart football. That's dumb football. You've got to get your best weapon involved at some point in a cr- crucial stretch. You know, 25 minutes of game time, Scott. 19 plays, no touches. Completely embarrassing. And the injury excuse doesn't really wash because the sheer number of injuries, as you talked about, looks crazy. But if you look at the actual injuries 
the vast majority of the ones that actually meant anything were on the defensive side of the ball, specifically C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson, which again is a testament to Greg Williams that he was able to get such a strong run defense out of a unit that was missing its two inside linebackers. But if you look at the offensive side of the ball, the offensive line was really bad just as it was the year before. But even when the injuries happened, the guys that came in were just as good or I guess you could say just as bad as the guy they were replacing. Jamison Crowder was certainly an upgrade at wide receiver. It's impossible to get upset about Quincy Inunua or even count that as some sort of major issue because he's never healthy. He missed all of 2017. He missed a significant chunk of 2018. And then when you consider that they added Le'Veon Bell, that's another big upgrade. And on top of that, you have Sam Darnold, who played the same number of games in 2019 that he did in 2018, but he was a better version of himself in 2019 because in 2018, he was a rookie. And then on top of that, you add in the fact that he was playing an easier schedule this year as well. Plus, even if you want to throw in the Christopher Herndon issue, which, listen, that is easily the most significant injury of all of the guys that were injured on the offense this year because he missed more or less the entire season with the exception of a couple of snaps, Ryan Griffin stepped up and became a pretty solid target at tight end. So I just don't think that this idea that the injuries ravaged the offense and that's why they weren't able to produce really holds any water at all. And I know that Sam Darnold missed the three games with Mono, but like I said, he missed three games with injury his rookie year as well. And let's be honest about it. Sometimes guys miss games. They'll miss a game or two here and there or even three. That just happens. Teams deal with injuries. If Darnold had been out for the entire season like Ben Roethlisberger, that's a different discussion. But he missed three games. There's no reason that the offense should have been this poor. And again, once you take out Luke Falk, the offense was still one of the worst in the league, even just in the games that Sam Darnold played. So overall, there's really just not much more you can say about it. There are a lot of excuses and there was a lot of hand wringing. But at the end of the day, it's hard to conclude anything other than the fact that Adam Gase did a poor job overall and certainly didn't live up to anything close to what he was billed as as an offensive guru. Your, your analysis is so spot on, and I'm so glad that you detailed the injury stuff because on the surface, it's an easy explain away. It's an easy excuse, but just the way that you described the guy shuffling in and out on the offensive line, who those guys were in terms of caliber of player versus who replaced them, all spot on. Clearly, the most impactful injury for this team was C.J. Mosley. And he didn't miss three games. He missed basically the entire season, and that's the defensive side of the ball. And Greg Williams, uh, you know, turned uh, for a while an outside linebacker and Brandon Copeland into an inside linebacker. He got James Burgess off the street. He had Neville Hewitt, who had primarily been a special teams player, fill in. Uh, and then, and then you mentioned Avery Williamson, who a lot of people forget. No, look, Avery Williamson isn't anywhere near the caliber of player that C.J. Mosley is, but he is. Your inside, one of your inside linebackers who's gone for the season as well. So you know you kind of you kind of filled in with Blake Cashman, who did you know, an okay job. He had some some rough patches, but he was a rookie. Uh, the point is that these guys that a lot of people hadn't heard of did a really nice job filling in, and even along the defensive line, no real injuries per se. But guys, guys like Kyle Phillips, uh, Foley uh, Fadakasi, uh, Nathan Shepard, after he came back from his suspension. Uh, these guys all exceeded expectations. Terrell Basham, uh, who was a, a pedigree player, 
you know, that, that Indianapolis had and ultimately parted ways with. Uh, he, he did a lot of good things. Uh, you saw a lot of promise from guys that you really either didn't hear of before or didn't really expect much of. Uh, so the injuries to me, like, they don't <laughs> – those are not realistic excuses when you look at where the injuries actually occurred, who got hurt, on what side of the ball. Uh, and I do want to talk about Sam. You, you, you mentioned a lot of smart things about, uh, you know, Sam and his growth versus his – you know, versus the leap that everyone thought he he would make or was hopeful that he would make. He did play, as you said, 13 games last year as a rookie, 13 games this year as a second-year player. Statistically, he had marginal improvements, without a doubt. His completion percentage went up essentially from 58% to 62%. Uh, he threw for about, you know, 150 more yards. Uh, now, his yards per attempt were the same, exactly the same, 69 uh his turnovers were basically the same. He had 17 turnovers as a rookie. He had 16 turnovers this season. Uh, you know, touchdown passes improved from 17 to 19. Uh, so, yes, uh, look, his quarterback rating. Forgot about that. His quarterback rating jumped up from about 78 to about 84. So he did make steps. He did take steps in the right direction. You know, I, I just think. You know, when I look back on this season for Sam Darnold, uh, what I wish would have happened, you know, obviously excluding the whole mono uh, stuff, was that I wish that he would have been used a little bit better earlier on because we knew, when I say we, I mean, I mean reporters, I mean fans, uh, even teammates, players uh, who, was, who had been with the team last year, they knew what Sam was good at. You know, they knew that you, know, you move the pocket for him. Uh, he's really good uh, you know, when you move the pocket, uh, thrown on the run, things like that. And it was almost as if Adam Gates was trying to shoe him, shoehorn him in to this pocket passer uh, mold, you know, this Peyton Manning type of mold. And I just thought that there, there would have been a smarter way to incorporate different elements of that while still using the stuff that we knew Sam was good at based off everything we saw, not only at USC, but what we saw as the season went on, uh, specifically in the last month of his rookie season. It's like, it's like Gase didn't hit a reset button from the jump. Instead of learning and, and using some of the stuff that Jeremy Bates had found out and discovered uh, to his, meaning Gase's advantage, uh, Gase almost acted as if he didn't watch the tape. And I know he watched the tape. I, I know he watched every play. But it, it almost felt like he was so bent on making Sam start over as opposed to starting from the high point we saw at the end of his rookie season. And I thought that that was the reason why he – that was part of the reason, I should say, why he didn't make that significant jump. Because you still see Sam make some incredible plays. I mean, there's so much there. I, I, I see it. I think we all see it. There's so much there. Uh, I, and I think back to the Baltimore game, if we're, you know, looking at the recent past – he made so many good plays. Now, he, he made mistakes. We know that. We know the interception at the end of the first half. But he made so many good plays on the run, uh, by design, also improvising to extend plays. And, you know, I just, you know, I think back to that game and I just think to myself, if he can harness all of that and if the team can cultivate that into him becoming a more consistent player, and I know that Adam Gates has said that, that he wants, he wants Sam to be more consistent. Uh, Sam has said that himself that consistency is the key uh, but in order to get consistent you have to call better plays to accentuate his strengths while he's growing and I, th I just thought that Gase 
you know, for too long in the first half of the season thought, hey, you know what, I'm going to make him play this particular way because this is my experience with with a good quarterback. Uh, Peyton Manning was a pocket passer. I'm going to you know call plays, design plays uh, as if I've got a player who is good at that and who is great at that. And you know, let's be honest, Sam Darnold is not great at that yet. But you can incorporate different elements of that while still uh, developing him. I just didn't think he did a good job developing him. You know, that's probably just me saying in a roundabout way. I didn't think he did a good job in this first year developing all of the gifts that Sam Darnold has because he's got so much more to offer. You know, I'm not in that group that says, well, Sam Darnold, you know, you're always going to get these interceptions from him. That's just kind of his mentality. That's who he is. You're going to have to live with that. I don't believe that. I think he can cut down in his turnovers. I don't know if he's ever going to be Tom Brady in which he goes through a full season with four interceptions or an Aaron Rodgers in which he goes through a full season with four or five picks. I don't know if Sam can get to that point, but I'm not going to say he can't get to that point. And I'm not just going to put him in a box and say he's going to be a gunslinger who's going to be prone to making mistakes. I don't believe it. I don't believe that's uh, who he will be because I know he's got an incredible work ethic and a capacity to learn. He wants to learn. He, he wants to improve, and he's only 22 years old. And I know that sometimes gets lost. He's 22 years old, and he would have been entering the draft this upcoming season if he stayed his entire career, his four-year career at USC. And so he has so much growth and so much you know, potential there, and we've seen bits and pieces of it uh, over these past two years. I, I think he can be – and I said this a million times, and I'll probably say it a million more. I think he can be such a difference-making player. And I don't want to saddle him with a superstar label. Uh, you know, that's probably not fair. Uh, but I, I just I see him being a difference-making player. I can see him being the leader for a Super Bowl-winning team at some point. I can see it. I, I can I can see the skill set, and it, it's just I think it would be so awful you know, relatively speaking, you know, we're talking about football here, but I think it would be so awful if the Jets didn't properly surround him with, you know, players uh, in front of him, uh, around him skill set wise, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. If the Jets squandered that opportunity, it, it would be it would be terrible because I, I think that, you know, given the right coaching, given the right uh, player personnel people to build a team, he can be a Super Bowl winning quarterback and not just a passenger. He can be the driver of a Super Bowl winning team. That's the kind of skill set he possesses. I'm not saying it's going to happen when he's 23 or 24 or 25 years old. I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe it will happen during that time. I don't know. But I know that there is enough there for him to be a difference-making player that people are going to remember for a long time. And that is what all Jets fans are hoping for. It's what we hope for going into 2019. And now we wait to see if it'll happen in 2020. And as you said, a lot of whether or not it does happen is going to be conditioned upon whether or not Joe Douglas can build this roster out around Sam Darnold to the point where he has the pieces around him that he needs to succeed. And we are going to find out whether or not he can do that over the next couple of months. Manish, thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. For those that are looking to read your work over in the Daily News, what do you got cooking over there? <laughs> uh, probably about 48 hours of sleep. 
uh, you know, season's <laughs> over. Obviously, we're going to be looking toward uh, free agency. Uh, I think I'm going to be uh, probably focused on the NFL playoffs for the next several weeks. But but then, you know, there's a lot of uh, off-season events, uh, senior bowl, things of that nature, all-star games, and you want to really kind of turn the page and look forward to who the Jets potentially could draft at the number 11 spot, whether it makes sense for them to trade that pick, you know, who are the contenders, what positions should they be targeting in the draft beyond the first round. Uh, and as you said, look, it's a pivotal time for Joe Douglas. He's going to have to beef up this team. And uh, I think I have a sneaking suspicion where he's going to go in the first round. But uh, beyond that, uh, you know, you want to find out, is he going to continue to build in the trenches? Is he going to take a flyer at maybe a dynamic uh, uh, you know, skill position player? Uh, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, you know, obviously the free agency period comes before the draft, but all of these all-star games are, you know, are on the horizon over the next several weeks. So there's going to be a lot of focus and attention on some of these guys coming out of college and, you know, which guys could be you know, helpful to, uh, to, to Joe Douglas, to Adam Gase, Sam Darnold, and all the Jets. Before we go, let's address the elephant in the room, Burnergate. I asked Manish before we started recording if he wanted to talk about it. He said he had nothing to offer other than to say that he had nothing to do with any of it and he would like to keep the conversation focused on football. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes, really appreciate it if you could do that for us. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it helps out a ton, so we'd be really grateful if you could do that. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.